comics, movies, music, video games, technology, Blu-ray, television. This is the HHW LOD Podcast Network. The Hopper. Yeah, the Hopper. The Hopper. 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 The Hopper. The Hopper. The Hopper. The Hopper. The Hopper. Tonight's episode, Getting Caught With Your Pants Down. And that's why I think that Princeless, number three, is the best single issue of comic book this last year ever. <laughs> okay. <laughs> that's not exactly an original idea. What are you talking about? I came up with that idea myself. No, you it was like didn't. out of a three. dream or something, huh? Welcome to Half Hour Wasted, episode 265. You know what? I just was thinking about this in the car. Ten more episodes, we're going to hit yeah. a semi-milestone of 275. It's a nice round number, kind yeah. of a quarter of a way through another century. Right. I think we should have a call-in show for episode 275. Ooh, I like that. That's I like good. that. Okay. Oh, that means we got to look at the calendar and work out dates. I always hate well, that. Well, people, you can look at your calendars, and you, you can guesstimate when we would be recording episode 275. It'll either be one or two weeks before it actually airs. So pencil it in, and then we'll try to get we'll try to nail down a date. Yeah, and it's a it's just a call in show. We could talk about whatever. Sometimes, uh, we, you know, we just like hearing from you guys. Yeah, maybe so, we can come up with a topic between now and then. Maybe, but sometimes we just like seat of our pants shows. Unless you're you know I, dying uh, for a topic, <laughs> then we'll you know do what Frank wants. <laughs> More advice. <laughs> Sometimes those advice shows are pretty awesome. Yeah. Today, though, we're going to talk to... We have a topic? We do have a topic. Good. We're going to talk to Sean Pryor, president of Action Lab Comics. Sean, are you there? Uh, yes, I am. You know, and it's, been, it's definitely been a while since uh, I've been on the uh, Half Hour Wasted, and it's great to be back. Fantastic! Well, it's, a, it's a pleasure as always to talk to you. And, and he's uh, uh, he also part of the HHW LOD network with the Black Fox uh, podcast. That's right. Not available on the main feed, but available nonetheless. From, well, you can get from the you can HHW get there from LOD you network. can get there from the homepage. Yeah, yes, it's all can. good. But if you subscribe to the to our main feed, it's not part of it. Because yes. Sean, they like to use colorful language. <laughs> y- yes, we go blue sometimes, yeah. but and I appreciate the fact that I'm still. Like all the uh, PKD um, PKD Black Box Networker shows are still allowed to be on the HHWLOD podcast network, and we are very thankful for that. And we are thankful that we are still allowed to go code blue. Our, oh yes, our pleasure. Also on the on the Skype with us is Jeremy Whitley, author of Princeless. Hello, Jeremy. Going, guys. It's nice to have you here. Now we wanted to talk to you guys. Uh, you know, obviously because we love Sean and he's part of the family and stuff. And, uh, okay, Sean, for those people that don't know Action Lab Entertainment, just give us a, a really quick rundown of, of what it is and how it came into being. Okay, the, the short rundown is like this. Uh, myself, Dave DeWanch, Sean Gabrin, Chad Ciccone, and then later on Jeremy and our other silent partner. Um, a bunch of us, we've all done comic books independently under our own banners or our own labels. And... We were all making like little tiny strides, but 
if we all we all felt that if we combined our powers and combined our efforts, we could put out the best books possible, um, best comic books possible, and you know put them in stores, put them out digitally, and just provide great entertainment for all types of readers, all types of ages, all types of genres, and that was the overall goal of Action Lab Entertainment. And one of those great books is Princeless. Uh, and I think, um, you know, as as awesome as PKD Media was and continues to be, I think you guys really have found the key uh, with Action Lab Entertainment. Yeah, um, it's it's really... And you have one of the coolest logos ever. <laughs> you got a dog wearing a jet pack and wearing goggles. <laughs> That's a squirrel, I thought. Is no, a- no, it's a Labrador. See, yeah. see J- Jeremy and I, we've had this conversation a few times. Jeez. With Dave, but Dave DeWance was the one that created the logo. And some people will say it's a pig. Some people will say it's a bear. But it's 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 actually an overweight Labrador with a rocket pack. Okay. Yeah, I thought it's, it was clearly a marmot. He, he does look a little overweight, but I think that's part of the charm. Uh, it's an action lab. Yes. Ah, yes. Action Lab. Oh. I get it. it works, that works on more than one level, which is which is nice. <laughs> yes. I get it now. By the way, people, you can go to actionlabcomics.com. <laughs> actionlabcomics.com. So, uh Jeremy, was this your was Princeless your idea? Okay, the reason we're talking to you about Princeless is because it got probably one of the highest honors you can ever get in comics. To receive an Eisner Award nomination, I mean that's pretty awesome. And he received yeah, it in I mean, two this categories. Is, this is a real award. This isn't just Frank saying, "Dude, five reverse flashes." I mean, <laughs> this is a real live award from professionals, right? I wish I had the long applause clip because all I all I have is the one that lasts for two seconds. Is that the I have uh, to, is that the Monty Python old ladies? No, but I have to play it that's like the one over and over and over again. Um, the two categories is best single issue. It was uh, it was nominated for uh, issue number three, a princeless, and then the other category is best publication for kids age eight to twelve. So congratulations, both of you guys, uh, especially you, Jeremy, since you're uh, since you're the writer of the book. Um, I I do have to ask you though, th- this was curious. This is interesting to me. How were you guys notified that you were nominated? Um, we actually found out. Um you know, a couple of days before the nominations came out, they uh, they send out basically uh, a list to the publishers to go, hey, um, here's the good news. You were nominated. Um, now make sure we spelled everything right so we don't look like idiots. <laughs> so, um, so actually, Sean Gabrin got that um, the Friday before and waited till the following Monday to actually tell us about it. Um, so... <laughs> I was I was very excited until I found out that he had known for three days, and then I was uh, suddenly pissed. Well, and then I was back to being excited again. Well, he uh, you know he does like horror and he does like the torture people. I guess what was he what was he thinking, Sean? What were you thinking? No, it wasn't me. It was oh, Sean yeah. Gabbard. Yeah, what was I, he I, thinking? I, I was I was in the dark too, and and when and when the email arrived, I was at my at my desk in my office. And like I jumped up so fast, I forgot that I was, you know, my my legs were underneath my desk. So like I banged my knees on the table. Oh. And it was on the, I was on the ground, like you know, going back and forth, like ah. And I was like yes, ah, like, ah. like Peter so, Griffin on the sidewalk. Yeah. Ah. Ah. Okay, okay we get it. I'm, do I have to pull your mic down? Okay. At least once every episode. <laughs> go, now, go ahead, Jeremy. Now, did you guys have to to submit for this award, or was this literally just thrust upon you? Um, we definitely submitted. Um, okay. You know, it's one of those things that, you know, we were going through the list, and uh, I think Chad was like, do we want to submit for the Eisners? I mean, I guess there's no reason not to, right? Just send them a couple copies, and we'll see. Probably not going to win anything, and that was, you know... I was on the same level there. I was like, oh, yeah, we'll send them. And then cool. I'm sure we'll get nominated. <laughs> um, is this uh, is Eisner's? Is this uh, are these national comics? Is this worldwide? Is this uh, I mean, what, what are the limits to the uh, to the comics that can compete in the Eisner? 
and and it just, and I'm sorry. This is I'm I'm a little bit ignorant, and I'm also trying to help the audience learn a little bit about this too. So it's a little of each. But uh, the Eisner is this just uh, comic books? Is there any prose or, or anything without uh, pictures uh, that, that are part of the Eisners? Well, if you say they also have like a journalism category, right, okay. Jeremy? And, yeah, they and have like uh, it's all comics business stuff. So you know they have a a group for people who you know, our journalists in the comics industry, um, you know, people like comics Alliance and bleeding cool and all these other guys who, who do talk about comics, um, professionally. Um, for the most part, it's, it's American comic books. There are, um, categories for, you know, uh, European books and Asian books. Um, but for the most part, the, the general categories seem to be all or mostly American Okay. Um, I, I guess before we go any further, let's talk to uh, Jeremy. Could you give us a synopsis of what Princeless is and who the target well, and, audience is? I have mean, we just, already explained how you came up with the idea? I mean, was this something that you came up with with um, your artist M or Sean or, you know, was there a conference call involved? Did you wake up from the middle of, you know, in the middle of a dream and go Eureka or, or where did the story come from? Um, well, actually, Princeless was something I'd been developing by myself, and I'd been working with uh, my own studio that I founded with a, f- a few of my friends who were artists, um, which is uh, Fire Tower Studios. Um, and it was something that I'd been working on with, uh, you know, one of my artists there, and uh, had been, you know, writing with uh, some help, you know, editing and everything from my wife and talking about just kind of generally. Um, and we did one issue, and... Um, the, the guy who was doing the art for it was like, yeah, so, you know, I haven't made any money off of this, so I don't think I'm going to do any more issues. Um, which I was like, oh, okay, um, I guess I'll figure something out. So I towed it around a big uh, pile of comic books for a while of, you know, this issue one. Um, and I happened to be sitting uh, next to Dave Wanch at Heroes Con um, in Charlotte. I guess it was two years ago now. Um, and, you know, when you sit next to somebody at a comic convention, by the end of the day, if you can't sell their comic, you're not paying attention. Okay. Um, because you hear it pitched all day long. Um, so, you know, I found all, all about space-time condominium, and he knew all about Princeless. And at the end of the day, we kind of, you know, did the thing where we swap comics uh, and pack up our stuff. And uh, I got an email from him a couple weeks later that was saying basically, uh, uh, this is a really good book. It's the kind of thing I wish I had a chance to work on. And uh, I sent him back going, guess what? You do. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> my artist is gone. So he, uh, it was, I guess, right when um, everybody was getting ready to form Action Lab. And he you know, invited me on to, to do the book and hooked me up with him. And, um, you know, I guess two years later, here we are. <laughs> well, like Frank said, give us a synopsis of the story. Um, okay. The story with princess is, uh, it's basically about a princess who's locked away in an evil tower or <laughs> locked away in a tower by her evil parents. Um, it was guarded by a dragon, um, with the intention that at some point a handsome prince is going to come along, defeat the dragon, rescue her and become a suitable heir for the king. Um, well, instead of waiting around to be rescued, she decides to rescue herself. Um, so she teams up with her guardian dragon, um, takes off, and decides that she's going to uh, go off to rescue her sisters as well. Because because the, the father, who's really the evil one, has imprisoned them as well. Yeah, they're all uh, locked up in towers guarded by mythical beasts waiting to be to be rescued. Well, now, I never got the impression that uh, that father was evil well you know no. he, he doesn't carry around a hairless cat or anything like right. that <laughs> he doesn't have he doesn't have a white kitty no um but uh but it's, it's you know it's one of those things that's kind of left the imagination or, or whatever but um but it's kind of just what a king does he takes his daughter and he puts her in a tower and he waits for uh night to uh prove his his worth you know by getting her it's like you know i guess it's just kind of the way things are done or something right. yeah now, um, wh- why do you think 
three was picked as the best uh, nominated for best single issue. Because in my opinion, I thought one was very good. There was a very good setup and it was a good cliffhanger. And, you know, three is part of the story that's headed towards the end. Uh, why do you think it was three that got nominated? Well, three is where the um, where, where the, the, the music video montage comes in as they make the armor. So maybe you're, you know, you're playing some 80s, maybe, you know, yeah. you're playing some Jan Hammer in your head as, you know, she's banging out the armor and all that. I, don't know. I, I think um, three got picked up and I was I was a little surprised myself because when I uh, when I was putting it together, I ran it by a couple of people. I ran it by Dave and I ran it by Sean. And I was like, is this one too preachy? Um, because it has a lot of sort of commentary on comic books and uh, particularly the way women are treated in comic books and, I guess, popular fantasy fiction in general. Um, and uh, basically the story of Three is it's about um, Adrian trying to get a real suit of armor because she's been wearing around sort of this uh, mishmash of pieces of armor from dead knights who her dragon killed. Um, <laughs> none of it fits her right, and she ends up, you know, in the second issue tripping over her, her own stuff and falling off of a castle. Um so in the third one, she's she's trying to get a real suit of armor and discovers that um, all the armor that's available for female heroes is uh, not suited to real battle. There are things like you know chainmail bikinis and uh, that that was probably my favorite sequence. Yeah, in the whole story was uh, I've drawn a blank on the the girl's name that that creates the armor. Uh, Bedelia. Yeah, Bedelia. When she's going through all the different options for the armor and. Uh, and the princess is trying to yeah. that's that's a brilliant i mean and you can you can pick out exactly who these are supposed to be you know that's, well i mean they actually call it the sonia and right, the diana the red and sonia the, that's yes. wonder woman that's yeah. xena that's witchblade the oh, witchblade okay. one was the best okay the, nobody the, ever talks about the witchblade one because I, uh i, think I don't know if fewer people know about witchblade or have seen that outfit or if it just slips by because it just kind of appears for one panel. Right. And Adrian said, no. Yeah, it was like, genius. No um, the, the one the thing that I uh, liked about it is that she brings up, uh, um, the, the, the princess brings up the fact that this does not provide suitable protection <laughs> right. for, uh, you know, for battle, which is so, you know, well, as, as, as sexy as Wonder Woman's outfit is, it bothers me sometimes when she's in battle wearing it, you know? Well, I... Yeah, I like the fact that um, the Bedelia also mentions that usually the uh, the, the heroines who are going to come in to try these armors on are a little bit more busty. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but of course, our hero is—is is there a particular age? Because she looks like she's you know she might be I don't know you know fourteen, fifteen, somewhere in there. Is there a specific age you you had uh, uh, for her? Yeah, she is uh, sixteen. Okay, cool. You're pretty close. All was right. It, was it your intention to write this story? for the age group that it got nominated for? Um, I guess. <laughs> um, it's one of those things, like, as you're pitching comic books, people always ask you, you know, what is your intended age group for this? And I've always said, well, you know, old enough to read and <laughs> young enough to read a comic book, I guess. <laughs> like, um, <laughs> you know, because it's, it's intended to where it can be read all ages. You know, kids will enjoy it, but there is a lot of, you know, kind of uh, in jokes and tongue in cheek stuff like the witchblade armor, and right. um, you know, there's a lot of uh, sort of pop cultural references in there. It, as it well. didn't. It didn't strike me as this. It didn't strike me as oh, this is a kids' book, right? But it struck me as, hey, my 12 year old would like this just as much as my 42 year old self is liking yeah. this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, and, and that, and I think the overall general appeal of princeless is what has made it, you know, the success that it is, you know, the critical success that it is. I mean, like, um, for a perfect example, a few weeks ago, we had a a comic book convention here in my hometown and, you know, we had a big display of action, action lab uh, books and we had a a princeless banner up and, and people of all ages, um, you know, women, men, children, boys, girls, they all, saw the banner, they either said they saw it online or read a review about it, or it, it just caught their eye, and they're like, what's this about? And and they were just sold on it. And books were just flying, you know, flying off the table. So it, appear, and it, it, it what amazes me is that it appeals to everyone, which is great, and also at the same time, 
when I like when I would pitch it at conventions, I would call it the the anti Disney book, and okay. and you know, and not in a bad way. And I don't, and I don't mean that in a bad way, especially now that Pixar has this movie coming out called Brave. But it's the anti Disney princess story. And as soon as I said that, you know, people's ears perked up, and then they want, and then they wanted it right away. So, and that 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 shows me that this is a story that hasn't been told. And it needs to be seen. So, so was your, that was your elevator pitch then, huh? Yes, sir. Okay, that's cool, man. I, I what I, I think the thing that I like most about the the book is just it just it feels it's just uh, how do how to describe it? It just there's a lot of very healthy attitudes in it. I mean, I just think this is this is a good book for a kid to read. You know, there there's a lot of you know it's not necessarily the 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 cliched, hey, female empowerment, you know, it's, you know, we're not looking for Gloria Steinem to give you a stamp of approval that I, I doubt you'd turn it down. But, um, <laughs> but just the fact that, that she's, that the, the, the girl is so healthy, uh, you know, in the way she thinks about herself and, you know, the adventures she's going to go on. And I just, you know, I, I, I really appreciate it. You know, in these days where it seems like, you know, Everybody has to be an anti-hero, and you know, you know, Marvel is uh, you know doing a summer event where it's basically heroes squaring off against heroes, and you know, it's what you know. Is there anything wrong with the you know the good guys fighting the bad guys anymore? And and you know, just I I like the fact that you know, while your book is certainly not that black and white, it's just it's this is a book that that not only would it be totally fine for you know uh, little Miss ten uh, year old Zoe to read. But I actually wanted to read this. Yeah, and that's that's my favorite thing that I've heard from a lot of people is I get, um, you know, some comments on Twitter and occasionally when people will review it, um, they say, you know, I picked up the book. I really enjoyed it. The first thing I did was share it with my daughter. Cool. And, you know, that's that was some of my motivation behind it is, you know, I've, I've recently had a daughter myself. And um, even before, you know, we actually had our, our daughter, I was thinking um, – it had always been, you know, I'd always wanted a daughter. That was a big thing for me. And I wanted to be able to share, you know, comic books with uh, with my kids. And I don't feel like there's a lot out there right now that I can, you know, pull off the shelf and, and really feel good about sharing with, uh, and in a lot of cases, kids, but even more cases, you know, girls. Oh, amen. I mean, that, that's that's my, my one big gripe. It's kind of the same thing. Not so much these days but it's kind of the same thing in music you know up till about 1990 you pretty much you know anything that came out in a music store you go hey check this out you know 10 year old and it's no big deal and then all of a sudden music started becoming explicit um you know in 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 concept as well as in in the actual syntax and the dialogue and and you know the same things with comics it's just i i don't understand why you can't find that middle ground, you know, and I, I guess that you're trying to keep up with the theoretically greater sophistication of the audience. And, you know, you always want to push the envelope a little bit more, but, um, so many of today's comics are, you know, except for the very special ones. Uh, well, I mean, they can frankly be depressing, um, because there's just not a lot of hope and light in, in comics these days. You know, it just, there's so much, there's so much literal and metaphorical darkness uh, in comics and, and to see something that doesn't make you just th- think, you know, Oh my God, this is just really, really heavy. I mean, you know, you guys are exploring some fairly serious themes here, but you're doing it in a way that's adventurous. And I, I promised myself I was going to stay away from the word wholesome just because I, I, I don't want to pin any kind of label like that on you guys, but you know, it's just something that I think healthy is a much better word. I mean, this is, this is a healthy book of, of spirit and, and just, you know, congratulations. Uh, that's, that's my thoughts. And, and I, I, I also, uh, would say that, uh, having read these four issues, um, you know, I think they're all stupendous. Um, but, uh, I just thought issue one was such a great setup and I, I love the, uh, the, the kind of Shrek like turn that you that you give you know or you start out and i because i read the first couple of pages you know thinking okay this is going to be it 
you know, this is this is what I'm in for. And then you turn the page and then, you know, it turns out to be something completely different. And then you go, okay, well, this is what I'm going to be in for. And then two or three pages later, you know, there's yet another turn and you just go, oh, my gosh. You know, I, I would love to talk about it specifically, but I don't want to give it away, you know, for those out there who might, you know, go pick this up and uh, and, and share it with their their daughters or their wives or their drinking buddies or whatever. <laughs> I'm, I'm pretty much a snob when it comes to my comic books as far as what I like, what I want to read. Um, it's, it's a rare indie book that will hold my attention even through the first issue. Um, you know, the walking dead did that. Obviously why the last man, that nah, wasn't that was vertigo wasn't it so that really wasn't yes. wasn't so much but you know vertigo for me they've always had that indie feel it may not be a technically an indie but they've always had the indie feel you know to yeah. it so um but uh th- i honestly when i sat down to read this i opened it up and i thought okay i know this isn't superheroes i'm just not going to like it because I've superheroes are my thing, you know? Yeah. And like I said, it's rare that a non-superhero book will grab me. And I'm also an art snob. If, and, I, you know, I've come to realize that there's no such thing as good art or bad art. I really believe that. Okay. It's all subjective. Um, it's good art if you enjoy it. It's not good art if you don't enjoy it. But, you know, somebody enjoys that art that you don't, so it's good for them. You know what I'm saying? So there, <laughs> yeah. there really isn't. Absolutely. There's no black and white here. So, Yeah, there are people out there who don't like Greg Land's photorealistic artwork. Right. Which is crazy. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't like Greg Land's work. So. I, um, uh, I liked... Uh, uh, I, I don't want to get off on too much of a tangent here. <laughs> Whatever. Yeah, right. Um, but uh, I liked uh, Greg Land when he was working with uh, Paul Ryan a Hang on. Lot. If you're going to do that tangent thing, uh-huh. i got to do go this. Go ahead. Yeah, you might, might want to open that and just get there we go. cozy. I'm ready now. But um, for, I don't know why. For some reason, he stopped working with Ryan, and he started working with, um, oh, my gosh, the name just left me. Um, he's been working with another inker um, for the last couple of years now, and – it's not the same. Um, yeah, really, my my experience with him has been on uh, X Men. Yes, yes. I have not I've not enjoyed his stuff on X Men, and maybe that's okay. You know, to some extent, what was going on in it, and um, you know, I, I was having a hard time really getting into, I guess, that part of the series where he dropped in anyway. And um, I feel like there's some stuff that you know he would be good doing, but he doesn't, I don't know, I guess it's not really the kind of art that I want in an X-Men book. Yeah, and, and I get that. I, I I don't usually think to myself, this guy would be a good artist on this book, but not this book. Uh, for me, it's a lot of either I kind of like it or I don't. Um, but, you know, you've got guys like Francis Manipal who, you know, I thought, um, uh, and of course, you know, when he, uh, he, he broke, I guess, on Legion, and he had uh, the inker Livesay, uh, who who worked his art quite a bit. Um, a very, he was a very strong inker, I guess. And, uh, um, then, you know, his work on the flash and, you know, you just think there's gotta be somewhere out there that, that just absolutely fits his style. And I don't know that, um, that the flash is it, but whatever. Yeah. Um, the, uh, the art, by the way, does, uh, does M Goodwin have a, uh, does he actually have a first name or is it a mystery? Does his name, does it stand for mystery? Yes. (laughs) It's it's a mystery. Okay. Well, there is a period after it. M period. There is a period one. after the M. So well, whoever unlike, this, unlike the lady we know whose name mm-hmm. is actually the Emma, letter the right. letter M. Well, well she, she was Emma, she, wasn't it? I no, thought she, she legally changed. She does. Oh, she did. She yeah. does have an. Okay. She at least did have a name that she. I didn't thought want she legally changed it to the letter M. She may have. That's something uh, that uh, that she would do. I, I could absolutely see it. The, the th- where I was going with with the art is. You know, this the art in this book wouldn't work for me in a superhero book. I, I this all goes back to the the snob thing. I like mm-hmm. my superheroes to look like superheroes, and I don't like them to look like cartoons. Um, like 
you know, big Spider-Man fan for a long time. Umberto Ramos was yes. was a, a very uh, cartoony. Was an artist on that book. Yeah. And while I enjoyed his stuff, you know, it worked in some books better than I th- than I think it worked in Spider-Man, but you know, I the the art in in Princeless I enjoyed for this fantasy setting. Yes. But it wouldn't work for me for a superhero setting. So I was just what I'm trying to say is I was pleasantly surprised with the whole package because I can read a story, but if the art is not jiving with me, then I'm not going to be able to enjoy the story. Um, uh, Jonathan Hickman's, um, what is that book that he did? Hickman. He, Shield? No. The, uh, or, oh, the, was it the image book? The yeah. uh, nightly news or something? Nightly like that? news. Yeah. I like Hickman's stuff, but I didn't care at all for the art in that book. I couldn't read it. I couldn't follow it. <laughs> and no, exactly. Exactly. And if the art makes it difficult for me, no. I'm not going to enjoy a book. Mm-hmm. I'm just not it, you know, I'm not sophisticated enough to look past the quote-unquote art in a book to get to the meat because to me the art is part of the meat. And if oh, I don't yeah. And if I don't like the, you know, that one layer of meat, mm-hmm. I can't enjoy the other layer of meat. Yeah. So, but Princeless, it, it works for me. It just, it fits the story. It's uh, well, and it, it's the, the layouts are extremely good. I mean, the everything flows well from panel to panel, and the art is is uh, not necessarily clean it, it's kind of sketchy which, which i like but uh but it's very clear what's happening you're you're never and i mean this is a compliment um the art is not simple but it's very easy to follow what's going on yeah. visually exactly and, and i i find that to be a very good thing because there's Hick- there's so many guys out there these days who don't do that i, I remember his art was simple yeah. okay and, and and uh spartan okay but it didn't make visual sense to me you know what I'm saying? Yeah, no. It uh, the artwork has to flow, and you have to understand what's a leading to b, leading to c. Yeah. Right. G- going back to nightly news, I found it very difficult to know where there were jumps in logic to me. Right. That um, I just couldn't follow, and I didn't enjoy the storytelling. Yeah, I read a uh, Jim Shooter blog a few months back where he just he just ripped apart uh, the issue of. Uh, Red Red Hood, and, Red Hood and the Outlaws. Hey, Shooter, want to go to Red Lobster? Yeah, with uh, art by uh, Kenneth Roquefort. Kenneth yeah. Roquefort. And I found his art really interesting, but after reading his blog, I went back and reread the issue, and I thought, eh, he's right. Basically, his point was, you know, I've been in the comics business for, you know, 45, 55, whatever years now, and I had a hard time following this. And if I have a hard time following what the heck's going on, literally what panel am I supposed to go to next? Because he's trying so hard to be edgy or modern or whatever it was. And I really like his, his, his literal art style, but it was almost like if you could have had someone, you know, do the breakdowns for him, you know, do the layouts for him. Um, kind of like Keith Giffen used to do a lot. Um, he, he would do uh, breakdowns and someone else would actually do the, uh, the artwork uh, based on those breakdowns. Um, so I don't know, maybe something like that would help, but, but here it's not an issue because it's really, it's not only is it easy to figure out what's going on, uh, it's never, ever confusing, but, but again, if you just, if you look at it, you can tell it's done well because never once did, did I find it to be clunky. I mean, in, in every panel, I thought it makes sense to go from this particular framing to this framing, you know, look in this direction to this direction to it's almost in editing, you're trying, you know, you, you can't, you can't uh, parallel video editing to uh, a layout on a, a comic book page, but some of the concepts are the same. Where you're trying to drag the eye around the screen. Um, if you ever look at a really well done um, promo, um, you know, a, a trailer, I guess, um, you'll notice that uh, that your eye is getting dragged kind of around the screen, almost in a circle. You know, you're you're looking top left, then top right, and then something drags your eye back down to maybe bottom left, and then bottom right, and your your eye is literally being moved around the screen, and and that's a uh, it's an absolute uh, trick of editing, which is absolutely done on purpose, and part of it is it, it's kind of 
it's the equivalent of a good layout where your eye your eye naturally and smoothly follows you know from point a to point b to point c uh with no interruptions and um wow. so again you know i i think that i realize that that this m person is not here right now uh, otherwise i wish i could tell him or her that um if if this person really exists but uh but yeah it, it complements the writing very well well, the, the great thing about that is, is that, yeah, you're right, you have, you know, great layouts, which lead to great pencils, which lead to, you know, great inks, then coloring, mm-hmm. you know, by a good one. But you also, what also helps is, is having a great editorial staff. Okay. So when you, when you have, like, Dave DeWanch, who serves as our creative editor, you know, come in and help with the book from an editorial standpoint, as well as Sean Gabrin, who's the editor, editor-in-chief, come in and look at the book as well, that additional guidance helps create the best book possible. That's why that's why when it comes oh, cool. to comics, comics should always be a team effort. Yes. You know, and, and yes, and there's sometimes I mean not a not a team effort to the point where it hampers an artist or hampers someone, but to a point where it's a, a nice balanced relationship. Yeah. Where, you know, there are gonna be times where just let the artist do their do their thing, it's gonna come out great. Or let the writer do their thing, it's gonna come out great. But when it's time for the editor or you know, for the editors to step in, step in, but don't step in just to validate your job right i mean it's it's a logical system of checks and balances absolutely mm-hmm. um yeah and and okay so that's that's a uh hopefully my next good question is um uh did uh dave or sean um did they have you um jeremy make any substantive changes or was it just a tweak here and a tweak there maybe a little dialogue you know um how much did they influence you know the the creation of this these exact comics here yeah um for the most part sean's stuff was um fairly simple and and sort of suggestive you okay. know he uh he's good at sort of looking at it and saying um hey you know maybe if you did this this would help this i don't know what you would wanted to do here but maybe take a look at this and you know there were several cases where i took his advice and a couple cases where i went no i like the way it is um okay. And yeah, he was he was pretty good about you know taking it one way or another there, um, and then Dave, you know, I can't say enough about Dave because uh, you know Dave lettered the last two issues, um, both three and four there, and he'll be lettering going forward. Um, but you know when uh, the book is late, <laughs> Dave steps up and you know um, does whatever he can to get it going, um, and uh, you know Dave really. Um, is good at taking a, a critical look at a book and, um, you know, where other people say, oh, well, that'll do. Dave is, is not willing to sort of sit with that'll do. He wants to make it, you know, the best book it can be. And uh, a lot of, you know, a lot of Princess's success I attribute to having Dave there um, to make that extra kind of poke or prod or push on yeah. him. Um, so uh, would you say, uh, um, was it more a uh, uh, plot assistance or plot suggestions or uh you know just the details the dialogue the you know that kind of stuff um, for the most part the the plots not really changed since uh, okay. i started writing it um but you know dave's uh, dave's suggestions are mostly um little i guess smaller things from uh just perspective of, of the book as a whole but things that um you start to notice the longer you've been there, like what fonts really work for stuff, when okay. the speech bubbles don't read quite in the right order, and how you can arrange them to to get around having you know issues where something doesn't just doesn't look quite right. Cool. Do you? Um, uh, well, I guess this would be a question for Mysterious M. Uh, Goodwin, but uh, um, was the art? Uh, were you actually placing, you know, faux bubbles, you know, in in the art, uh, suggesting, okay, this is where the artist thinks that the bubbles could, should go, or is that an editorial decision? Um, well, M for the most part um, doesn't, you know, really include bubbles in there. I think M is really good though, and partially because um, M actually teaches sequential art. Um, oh, cool! It's a uh, yeah, a big thing where uh, M is able to look at it and say, okay, the bubbles should be able to go here. There's this much text. Because, I mean, there were a couple points in, um, especially issue four, which was a bit wordy, um, where, you know, M shot me some emails and was like, hey, could we trim this down because it's not going to fit? Like, 
even as you know the pencils aren't finished yet. Okay. Uh, and was like, yeah, this is not gonna this is not gonna look right if we have all of this on there. So, um, yeah, that was uh, that was pretty much all on on M's part, and uh, I think uh, M did a really good job of actually seeing that because I'm I'm terrible at um, trimming down the amount of words that my characters say. Okay. Like, <laughs> I get a lot of compliments on on dialogue and stuff. Because I I like dialogue um, sometimes a bit too much, so I'll I'll have somebody say something a particular way, and you know I'll have the artist at some point will be like, hey, um, could they say this another way? No, they can't say that another way. Yeah, could they say it without thirty words? No, it's not possible. Um, but, well, and you're right. In in like what thirty two pages, there's like uh, what five or six panels that don't have some kind of dialogue in it. So you know, issue four. Uh, is quite wordy to me that's an incredible compliment i mean i've been going back and rereading some um uh i've been just for example i've been reading uh some old fantastic fours uh from the uh mid 70s like issues 160 170 in there and first of all those issues are 31 pages but i remember when i was a kid you'd sit down you read a comic book and it would take you you know 15 20 minutes to read a comic book and that's if you're into it you know, that's if yeah. you're not if you're not screwing around and of course you know one of the big issues <laughs> no pun intended with comics these days and you know i'm not the first person to say this by any means but you know you sit down to read a four dollar comic book and you're done in, in three and a half minutes and you're just going what the heck you know i guess i'll go back and flip through this just to look at the art or something because basically i kind of feel like i'm getting ripped off and and um yeah it's it's uh issue four is uh is quite dense i think there's, there's more more copy in issue four um, that I've seen in a comic in, I don't know, 15, 20 years maybe. And again, I mean that as a compliment. Uh, I, I like uh, density and, and lots of words. Guys, we know you have to go pretty soon, um, but Frank and I just have at least one more question each. All right, cool. Okay. Um, my, my question was that this, and this goes to Jeremy. Jeremy, this isn't an, an, an anti-princess book. It's more of a princess book with a different take. What What spurred you to take that angle on the story. Why did you feel that the princess story needed to be reinvented? Um, largely that's uh, a result of just sort of shopping for, I guess, shopping for my daughter and looking at what's out there. And also, uh, you know, my wife's family, there's a lot of girls. She has, um, you know, three sisters and several cousins and, um, sort of seeing a lot of the younger ones particularly drawn to, you know, Barbie stories and sort of the Disney princesses where particularly like Snow White and Sleeping Beauty and those types that um, have no sort of agency whatsoever. Um, and that, that really, I guess, bothered me because I, that's not the kind of, um, that's not the kind of girl that I like to have in my life, um, whether it be, you know, my wife or my friends or my daughter. And I want there to be, you know, these, these sorts of books out there where, um, girls don't necessarily have to leave behind, um, the idea of being a princess or pink or these girly things to at the same time realize that they can, um, they can have some determination in their own life. They can do their own thing. Um, and to some extent with, you know, Adrian's character in particular, it's okay to be weird and like what you like and do what you feel like is you without, you know, being self-conscious about it or having to worry about being a princess type. That's you know, it took me 40 years to figure that out. That, you know, and that's perfect because that's exactly um, no joke. That's that's the kind of ideal that I, I want my ten year old daughter yep. to have. I mean, one of my first one of my first uh, images of her, I guess. And I mean, this is she was uh, four or five years old at this point, but uh, climbing a tree in our backyard in a uh, in, in a bell dress from Beauty and the Beast. <laughs> So, you know, it's like you can be a princess and still be a tough little, tough little mother. And, uh, you know, I just, I, I love it. Um, so, you know, I, I, I appreciate the way you're thinking about this. It's greatness. 
my yeah, I, I love it. And I just uh, I think the bravest move that we made in the entire series, and this was actually not my my choice. M did this was to make that first cover bright pink. Like okay, <laughs> I, I I felt like when we did that, I was like, oh, we're gonna scare away the people that do want to read this book and bring in the people that are, um, you know, traditional princess um, lovers, uh, fiends. So, you know, it's, it's sort of split the difference. You know, there's still people that picked up the book that, uh, you know, are <laughs> that come to our table, you know, wearing all black with a nose ring and still love it. And there are, you know, little <laughs> girls that are, are dressed as princesses at comic conventions that can come up and pick it up and check it out and still, you know, still get that message without feeling like we're sort of railing against the things that they like. What I want to know is when is the trade paperback coming out so I can buy it for my 12 year old? All right, here's the deal. Trade <laughs> paperback will be in stores um, if all goes according to plan, either toward the end of April, uh, no later than the first week, first or second week of May. Um, cool. Oh, no, what were you supposed to say, Brad? Do you have like a uh, a previews order code or anything like that? Or well, has like, it already um, been solicited? The yeah, it, it, it already been solicited. It was solicited in uh, February, if uh, memory serves me right. Yeah, it was solicited in February with an April with an April release date. Um, some minor printing guffaws, but they've all been fixed and rectified. And now the books are currently being bound together and uh, getting ready to uh, be shipped out to Diamond and whatnot. But they will be available either late April, no later than the first or second week of May. And um, we will also, uh, we also currently, for those that like want to read the book right now, now you can go to uh, graphically.com slash store and click on Publishers and select Action Lab Entertainment and read it there. You can go to drivethroughcomics.com and read it there. You should be able to still go to uh, mydigitalcomics.com and read it there, um, you know, or you know, purchase copies there. If you go to Amazon, uh, Amazon has a, you type in like Princeless Volume 1, um, there is a Amazon for Android app um, there, and for, I think it's like six ninety nine. you get all four issues. Sweet, jeez. And, and um because actually that um, on the Amazon for Android, it has been like in the top 30 of electronic graphic novels. It's been the top 30 for like the last 30 days. Oh, how cool. So, so you know, now granted, you know, I'm, we're waiting to see the actual numbers as to how many copies have been sold. But um, it's, it's really been awesome. It's also available on the Nook right now. It will also be available very soon on the Kindle. It what about... Available- Will it be available on the cranny pretty soon? It, oh. might be, it might be available on the cranny as well, yes. That's awesome. Um, what about uh, physical copies? I mean, I Not know the fi- trade's coming out, but is there a place to get the physical copies? Like if you want to have them shipped to someone? I have. I, I told this to a friend, and she mm-hmm. wants to send it to her niece. Okay, cool. Here's the situation. Now, if you're looking for physical copies, what we are also doing, and this is, this is on me, um, we are in the midst of... Action Lab Comics website, and that give me about about a week and a half, two more weeks to get it all done. You will be able to buy physical copies of Princeless there because it is one of our best sellers. So we will have physical copies available there, as well as digital copies too. Just- so um, now, and as I said before, we also will be available in comic book stores, like either toward the end of April or the first or second week of, of May, depending on where you live in the United States. Yeah, and let me plug a few that I know have it. Um, right now, um, comic book stores that are, are carrying it that have contacted us to you know order some in the past. Or um, my local store, which is uh, Ultimate Comics in Durham, North Carolina, has a ton, and they're going to be doing uh, actually the launch event for us at the end of April. We're going to have uh, we're going to be selling the trade and the individual issues, and also uh, going to have some of the female fencers from the area out. Uh, giving demos and lessons and everything. Say that um, again? Female what? Fencers? Fence, you know, fencing. Oh, you know, okay. yeah, There's going to be some sword fighting out there. So, And uh, in Texas, 8th uh, Dimension Comics, um, they've been um, they've been a very, very, very strong supporters of Princeless. So individual issues still may be there, and they're getting a couple of more individual issues sometime soon. What and, city is that? Yeah, in? we're in Texas. Um, let's see. I want to see. I can't remember. Is, uh, is 8th Dimension in Houston? Um, I, I'll, I'll have to double check. If you want to punch up the computer sounds, Brad, feel free. <laughs> <laughs> so, 
So, Jeremy, you said you, uh, you're in uh, Durham, North Carolina? Yeah, I, uh, I actually live in Raleigh. I've been sort of all around the okay. triangle. So I've, uh, I've been out there a couple times. Uh, uh, it's been years now, but uh, I got to uh, direct a couple of uh, medical shows on the Duke University campus and uh, drove through the Durham's quaint little downtown um, on a couple of different evenings looking for a comic book shop or anything to do down there. And there's, I don't think there's really anything to do there but buy cigarettes. Um, I was able to find uh, Eighth Dimension Comics and Games. It is located in Houston, Texas, um, eighty four seventy five Highway Six North, Suite C two. Cool, man. Um, that's a heck of a drive from here. But but no, but there we will have additional print copies available on our on our new website that should launch in a few weeks. Fantastic. And, uh, and like I said, you know, call call your local comic shop. They, you know, they may have carried printless, and if they didn't, ask them why didn't they do it. Um, but, uh, but no, you can also double check my shop, my comic shop.com. Check them too. Uh, sometimes they will have uh, back issues available. Oh, cool. So, uh, yeah. So it, oh, you I, can... I got to do one more plug. Um, uh, okay. Yeah. My do. comic shop, by the way, for those in the Dallas area, my comic shop is, um, is the digital extension of uh, Lone Star, uh, comics. That's right. Yes. So you might be able to find one at a, a Lone Star comic shop and then that's a shot in the dark there. Good luck people. <laughs> Yeah, we do also have, uh, I know there are more copies at uh, Big Planet Comics, um, which is in the D.C. area. They have a, a store in College Park. They have one in D.C. They have one in Vienna, Virginia, because um, I know because we've sent them to them. Um, they've ordered a, a ton of reorders on those. And that's actually where I will be on Free Comic Book Day. I'm doing signings for Princeless, uh, both in Vienna and College Park. There. Cool. Very cool. Well, speaking as a father of of uh, two daughters and speaking on behalf of, of Bill and, and Jeremy, if I might, you people who are listening, if you've got kids, daughters, especially buy them this book because it's, it's uh, it's really good. It's positive message. It's a uh, fun. There's nothing scary about it. It's just, I think it's a really good read for kids and I'm really excited to give it to my almost 13 year old. And, and again, the, the one word that comes to mind for me is just, it's healthy. Yeah. You know, it, it's, it, I think it would be, it's not just a good read. I think it would be good for your kid to read. Yeah, I agree. You know? And, I, you know, I don't want to go American values or anything here, but, um, you know, it's just I, I, I typically roll my eyes when, when I hear the phrase, you know, it stills good values in you. It's like, yeah. Please, please extend our, our praise and, and gratitude to M. Goodwin, uh, yes. Jung Ha Kim, and, and uh, Sean Gabrin and Dave and Chad and Josh and all those people associated with this book, please let them know that we think it's fantastic. And can I have just one one quick thing? Um, I, I realize you guys are up for Eisner's, and by gosh, we're pulling for you guys. Um, but uh, you're also up for uh, five uh, Glyph nominations uh, this yes. year. And yeah. those uh, awards are going, going to be awarded um, on the professor's birthday, by the way, which is May 18th. Um, nice. But... Um, uh, story of the year, best writer, um, best artist, um, best female character, um, and uh, best cover. Um, and they're up against uh, um, Brian Michael Bendis and Sarah Pacelli. They're up against uh, Jeff Parker doing the Thunderbolts. Uh, um, uh, Bendis and Pacelli doing uh, Ultimate uh, Spider-Man, obviously. They're up against Rob Guillory uh, from Chew. Um, a couple of these that, that I don't recognize just off the top of my head. Um, but I mean, they're up against, uh, JG Jones, you know, doing Mr. Terrific. And, and I mean, they're up against, you know, some real live, uh, competition here. So, um, Hey, you know, congratulations with that also. And, uh, we sure hope that, that works out. Hey, for guess, you. guess who now is following me on Twitter. Oh, hey. sweet. Jeremy Whitley's following hey. me on Twitter. Hey, I better, <laughs> I, you know, I, I better have we'll a uh, Twitter uh, notation, uh, too. All right, guys, we so. know you got to go. You got some business to take care of. So thank you very much for joining no doubt. us. It was a pleasure to talk to you guys. And, and Sean, I got a, I got a man hug waiting for you next time I see you again. Yeah. And All you, right, I got one for you too, bro. Sweet. And you guys, you guys are real men. So man, you know, keep, keep fighting the good fight and, uh, you know, Get that son of a gun monetized and make it rich, boys. We're going to continue on recording, so please consider yourself uh, thanked. All right. Thank you, gentlemen. Y'all have a great evening. Hey, great meeting you, Jeremy. Thanks, Sean. Bye-bye, guys. Okay. It really is a great book. I mean, you know, like I said, I'm I'm a superhero snob. I love my superheroes. And it takes a really special 
non-superhero story to grab me and yeah. this, this one really did i mean and maybe it's because i'm a i'm a dad of two two girls but i don't think you need to be a dad of two girls to enjoy it because frank enjoyed it yeah in fact uh i can honestly say i would have never picked this up uh yeah. on my own uh the, the fact that it was eisner award and, and i got to pick it up i'm surprised that that uh that i enjoyed it as much as i did i honestly thought that it was going to be uh, something else something very yeah. kind of um, Disney-esque, kind of, uh, yeah. you know, uh, ironic and, and well, fairy tale and stuff. And while it does have those elements, it's just told in a very, very different way. Well, there was some Shrekness to it, I guess, in that uh, um, it wasn't self-aware. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't, you know, using pop culture references or anything like that. But um, what I thought was such a genius about the first Shrek movie, and I really do think the first Shrek movie was genius it was um, the you know the incredible twists and turns that movie took and just you know a half dozen times during the movie you go no way you know i mean the whole thing you know a girl dragon you know it's just genius absolute genius twists and turns you know in that movie that that you would never seen coming and then somehow you're watching this movie and it's like how come nobody's done this before i thought every idea had already been you know thought up by now and, and somehow you know these people are coming up with new ideas and so I thought that uh, that sense of uh, of irony, and I mean dramatic irony, not roll your head, you know, roll your eyes irony, um, but that sense of dramatic irony, especially in issue one, um, uh, without giving anything away, there's, you know, it, it kind of starts off a little bit like the Shrek movie where you think it's one thing that turns out to be another, and then they throw yet another twist, you know, on you, and all, you know, both of the twists take you in a couple of 90 degree turns, and you know, that, that you did not see coming. And I just, I think it's, not only is it well-written and, and healthy uh, for kids, but it's just, it's extremely clever. That That's one adjective we never apply to this while talking to these boys. And I'm sorry about that uh, because this is very clever. It's just, it's just, it's well done. And, you know, I, I don't know that, you go looking for some criticism just to try and keep things balanced. You know, you don't want to just gush over something and just gush and gush and gush. At some point, you know, the gushing loses its effectiveness <laughs> because there's just there, there's no uh, there's no counterpoint, you know, to the positive feelings I have about this book. Um, but sorry, that's the way it is. I mean, this this book, I really I have no criticism of it. I mean, the the coloring is beautiful, the artwork is clear, the writing is is clever, and it's not just the plot; it's the actual dialogue that Jeremy wrote. Yeah. I mean, like he said, he's a big fan of dialogue. Yeah, you can tell. And yes, you can tell it. Uh, you know, there are a few writers out there. Um, well, he mm-hmm. he uses his words smartly in that he he is a fan of dialogue, but he yeah. doesn't overuse it which well there are writers who will um i guess love to hear themselves right i don't know what the right well i mean it's kind of the, the aaron sorkin syndrome what you're talking about but he uh um but jeremy writes in a way that is smart clever and gets to the point yeah without meandering which which will kill any, any and that's good true story. that that's a, an excellent point because uh there is no meandering going on these first four issues um um is it is it a, a is it giving away a spoiler to say that the end of the fourth book is not a true conclusion no and i meant to bring that up but okay. you know, we were out of time with them yeah, yeah it says end of book one right at the end of that well and it's 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 clearly not it's it's like getting to the uh, the end of Chapter House Dune. See, I was going to slip that in there somewhere, where it says the thrilling conclusion to the Dune saga, but it is absolutely not the thrilling conclusion of the Dune saga. There's clearly more story to be had, and it's not a cliffhanger per se, but the story is the story has just been turned in a new direction as the first book ends. So they're 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 not setting things up necessarily for. Um, I mean. They're not spending time setting up the next book, chapter, or whatever you want to call it, but they clearly give you the, hey, we're not done yet. You know, there's going to be different thing. You know, the next volume or, or whatever is not going to be a rehashing of the first. Uh, there will be a second volume, and it will have different subject matter, different plot, whatever. Yeah, I'm Big looking. Surprise. I'm look, this is this will be a, a trade that I definitely pick up. 
Yeah. You know, without question. Yeah. Like I, when the next Walking Dead comes out, I pick it up. You know. Okay. And when this one comes out, I'll pick it up. It's awesome. Nice. Right. Yeah. Well, okay. Well, with that said, are we out? Yeah. Let's. Yeah, sure. Let's, uh, let's roll out. Well, guys, we want to thank you very much for listening. Let's make to like Transformers and roll out. Ooh. Isn't that um, what they do? Roll out. I think you're Wasn't thinking of. I think you're thinking of Droidicus. I think you're thinking of Gobots. Uh, oh, okay. <laughs> the Go- poor man's transformer. Gobots. Thanks for listening to a half Genius. hour wasted. Be sure to check us out at half at hhwlod.com where we got a whole bunch of great shows like um, oh pick one Legion of Dudes. Um, okay, well, how about Black Box podcast? Black Box Media Out Now podcast. Black Box podcast. Out Now and all uh-huh. that great stuff. Yeah, I already said Out Now. Speak of the devil. Speak, dang it! <laughs> <laughs> Brad! <laughs> we'll see you next time on Half Hour Wasted. Bye.